You're listening to Dairy Voice, a podcast exclusively for the dairy industry. Dairy Voice podcast is sponsored by National DHIA. National DHIA serves the dairy industry in advancing dairy information services. They lead the dairy information industry to create, utilize, and support world-class information resources that are accurate, credible, and uniform. To find out more, go to dhia.org. Once again, welcome to Dairy Voice, the podcast from Dairy Business News. I'm your host, Joel Hastings. For our episode today, I'm looking forward to a conversation with one of the really proficient dairymen here in California's Central Valley. We'll be talking with Ryan Matherin of Hillmar Holsteins in Hillmar, California. Ryan and his family run a top-notch registered Holstein dairy and are active in a number of farm organizations as well. Ryan, welcome to Dairy Voice. Appreciate you getting back here after working the sale today, and we'll, we'll talk about that at, at Turlock Livestock. But let's start, let's begin our conversation by just tell us a little bit about your family and the background on the dairy when, when the family got started. Uh, my grandfather started in the dairy business. Uh, it would have been back in the, uh, I'm not as good with years, it'd be in the late 50s, I'd say 58, 59, somewhere in there uh, when he started in the dairy business. Um, he started with, you know, basically 100 cows, and him and my grandmother kind of did everything. And you know, as time went on, uh, they they started in, uh, in in Turlock, California, actually. And then um, probably late 60s, they purchased the uh, farm where actually we're milking cows at today. My dad and uncle uh, came into the operation up, uh, upon them completing uh, school. Also involved in the operation as far as today is. Uh, is me and my family, and then also my brother and and his family. So there's uh, there's four of us that are here on the on the day to day basis. Currently, we milk uh, about 2,000 uh, Holsteins, farm about 700 acres of uh, corn and oats and Sudan. We also farm a small amount of trees, about 60 acres of uh, olive trees. All cattle are, are raised here at the facility. We raise everything from, from day-old calves, heifers, all the way through to through to cows. And um, all four of us are very heavily involved in the day-to-day decisions and management and of of everything. So it's a fun enterprise, and we uh, there's enough here to keep us all busy. That's that's for sure. One thing that's always impressed me when I've been able to come see you guys is that the farm always just looks immaculate. Everything is in its place things are trimmed up, looks nice. And I have found over the years that that's often the sign of a, a very well-managed herd too. Just talk about your facilities a little bit in your cow comfort, your, your bedding, your, your stalls. What, how, how do you handle the cows? Um, right now the, the cows are all housed in uh, compost bedded uh, free stall barns. Um, over the past, uh, you know, 15 to 20 years, we've done a fair amount of uh, updating to our facility. Just uh, over time, and some older facilities we had, we've kind of changed them around just to uh, improve our cattle comfort and, and most definitely also our efficiency for for people and cattle handling. We actually got we got two freestyle barns that we're doing right now that we actually uh, we took them down and we're redoing them with a more modern, uh, higher roof barn that's little larger beds with fans and soakers and we you know we try to do our best as far as uh you know cattle comfort and and the the efficiency and ease on employees to get things done in a safe manner for the cattle and a you know safe manner for for them um all the 
Milk Barn, we have a 50-stall uh, um, uh, rotary bomatic parlor that we've been extremely happy with. It'll be uh, this last August. It'll be 20 years that we've had the parlor in. Um, we have a metering system on it also, so we're getting daily milk weights on the cows, and uh, uh, which has been a really great tool for us to uh, monitor their daily daily production. It gives us a, a tool that you know we use on a, you know looking for you know off feed cows, uh, you know cows that may need extra care or uh, you know making our daily our, our string moves and stuff like that. It's been a really really good tool for for management purposes. Like I said earlier, all calves are. are raised here also we have four uh, calf uh, houses that all the calves are raised in on on tenderfoot matting and a four by eight pin we actually utilize all of our fresh cow and hospital milk and also we have to use a little bit of supplemental milk that we have a calf pasteurizer that will actually pasteurize all the milk for the calves so we're utilizing all of our our discard milk we also pasteurize all the colostrum for the baby calves so we, we really focus on you know on the cleanliness and 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 animal health on a, on a day-to-day basis. What sort of production levels are you able to uh, get on the herd these days? Right now, actually, this weather, uh, the weather changing is in our favor, and cows are milking really well right now. We're, we're right about uh, 93 pounds per day average. Fat tests, we're about, uh, about a 3.86 fat and about you know, a 3.21 protein right in that range as of today. But it's, uh, it's nice to see the weather kind of cool down, the air kind of clear up for what we've had to deal with over the last last month or so. Um, you mentioned uh, calf raising. Um, we, we, we're not using a large, large uh, amount of sex semen. We probably use, out of all the semen that we use, we maybe will use about 10 to 15% of sex semen, which mm, probably a good chunk of that is used just on our certain flushes that we're using. But we're, we're very uh, traditionalist, I guess you'd say. We're using a lot of just conventional semen. We're not, we're not utilizing any, any beef semen at all. We've actually, we've done it that way just because we've always, obviously we need replacements. Uh, we've always had a really good market for um, selling fresh heifers to local dairymen and uh, that market's always been good. The incentive on the on the beef calf price is, is better than what a drop bull calf is going to be on that day, but we've just always kind of felt that uh, the conventional semen was, you know, kind of worked a little it worked a little better getting cows bred, and uh, it's gave us good inventory of heifers. And um, we've, like I say, we've we like to raise all of our calves, calve them in, and at that time we'll decide on cows that we need to sell and stuff like that. So it kind of keeps our herd to try to keep the type up on as high as we can by, you know, calving in, you know, fresh heifers as we can, and then we'll go through and and cull cows and stuff as we see fit when the time comes. The calf raising isn't an, an easy. Um, not an easy task and it doesn't even if these people have calf ranches and raise their own calves they know the calves are i mean they're they're a very sensitive uh animal to take care of and get them going on the right foot and we've we've put a pretty good investment in as far as on the facility of the calves and trying to do the best we can to take care of them and so we put a big focus on them and we really try to raise a healthier calf and a Get them when they come to wean age. They're, they're at a good weight. We'll actually transition into the to the wean barn, you know, very well. And I think, you know, I think in today's world of cows, I think that you know, the people want these cows to calve in at that, you know, one eleven or two o mark, and they want them to be big and well grown and and be very productive and milk ninety pounds when they calve in. And a big part of that calf's life is you need to make sure that it gets every nutrient and every bit of care it can to get to that point. So when they do get to that age and calve in that they can be as productive as they possibly can. So that's a big part of our, our focus with our young stock. Sure. 
you, you've always been careful about your sire selection. As, as we mentioned, you've had registered Holsteins. How has your sire selection changed here during this genomic era? How much genomic testing are you doing? And then talk about the kind of bulls that you're picking and really kind of what, what does your ideal female look like? Of the 2,000 cows we have, we probably have about 350 registered cows, and we've always kind of kept it at that number. It's not a large, large number, but uh, all animals are all, you know, we all use Holstein tags, and they're all ID through through Holstein. But on the registered ones, you know, we've we've probably over the last uh, three to five years, we've we've done quite a bit more flushing than we've um, you know done in the past. We enjoy the the the, the numbers of it, and I guess we've been doing the genomic ones long enough now to see that, you know, some of these numbers are, are a very true number. And, and when you see some of these certain daughters by these higher bulls with the right kind of maternal lines and the pedigrees, and you start to see them calve in and you, it, you get faith in the, in the way it all works out. And so we've kind of been focusing a little bit more on that. We don't use, uh, when we're using bulls and buying bulls to, to breed, we don't use a lot of a newer I'd say hot bull of the moment, uh, a lot of him at the beginning. Uh, we'll kind of stick in that 20 to 50 units of semen and just to kind of feel him out to see how it is. And then once that bull, once we get a little history on him, we get some, you know, more of a legitimate proof, we'll actually go back and, and buy more of them and use, you know, more of them later on. Like, you know, bull, for instance, actually we got done classifying here a couple weeks ago and, you know, like a bull like Jedi, you know, we used to some of him very early. We've got some Jedis now that are third cast, but, we went back and used him later and, and been extremely happy with him. Um, once you kind of figure out, you know, how to breed them to kind of uh, help their downfalls and, and uh, strengthen their strengths, uh, you get a better idea and you can um, mate them a little more correctly. But, you know, we kind of focus on um, the bulls that we're, you know, breeding, just not just to our, our top end ones, but, you know, across the herd, we, we really focus on, you know, on, on, on the production, pounds of fat, pounds of, pounds of protein we're focusing on you know we went good udders and, and in our situation we're we're on a lot of concrete we've really got to focus on feet and legs so as, as time has gone on i think that's the going to be the one of the main traits that we really got to protect cows on is, is in feet and legs and i think that's something that's become you know very universal across the across the country is you know that that trait we do watch a little bit now especially as time has gone on we you know we try to um stay with a little bit higher deep yard type animal. The breeding on them is after enough animals we've genomic tested, we kind of see that that is a very, very true number. So we really kind of watch that closely. We don't make a, you know, it's not a, the deciding factor, but we, we do watch it closely. You know, and, and just the, the overall type. I mean, we all like to milk, you know, good cows that are open ribbed, wide muzzled cows that can, you know, take in a lot of a lot of feed and produce a lot of milk and look good doing it. And so we're, we're, you know, trying to cover all the bases as much as we, as much as we can. Our flushing program, we probably were flushing, um, conventional flushing, probably about f uh, four to six head a month. And then we're probably IVFing, you know, somewhere in that eight to 12 head a month. We've had, you know, pretty fair luck. We've, we've uh, been doing the conventional flushing with our local veterinarian now for seven, eight years. And, um, uh, the conventional flushing is, uh, we've been very happy with that as far as on a conception rate, where our conception rates are, you know, a little higher than they are on the um, IVFing, of, um, IVF flushing. But with the IVF, it gives us an extra, you know, uh, bigger time frame that we can do them a little bit earlier when they're a little younger, and we can do them, you know, after they've been confirmed pregnant. So we like that standpoint. Um, 
we're kind of working with some of our higher females when we do it. We're we're um, using some pre-release semen to try to make some bulls that can potentially make the AI, and we're also using some other semen just kind of for our own genetic advancement, I guess you'd say. So we're we're using you know a lot of different types of bulls, and we're you know doing different uh, families and stuff that we've uh, that we've been working with here for a while. It's kind of a a fun adventure, I guess you'd say. We all enjoy good cattle, and you know this has been one way that we've been able to uh, kind of better our female herd. And hopefully, once in a while, you get lucky enough that you can uh, put a bull into AI that'll help pay for some of your flushing bills. That's that's kind of what our goal is. Dairy farmers know that the better they take care of their cows, the better their cows take care of them. And that's why we at Virtus Nutrition launched Energy 3 with Omega-3s, the healthy fat supplement that has many of the same fatty acids that are found in olive oil and salmon to help cows stay healthy and productive. Visit VirtusNutrition.com to learn more. That's V-I-R-T-U-S Nutrition.com. Do you put eggs into uh, your bottom end cows or heifers or some of both? How do you do that? All of our eggs, we, we implant them all into uh, virgin heifers. We've yeah. um, we've never really done too much on on the cows. We you know we we're selling enough fresh heifers that we kind of get it's a dangerous spot if you have an egg in them and you're kind of going to be tied to them. And we've had you know very very good conception rate on our heifers and we've got enough heifers so we're able to pretty yeah. much satisfy all of our needs just by putting them into heifers. You sell your milk you'd mentioned uh, to uh, California dairies. And uh, in fact, I think you mentioned your dad was on the board there for a while. How has the federal order impacted your milk price, your, your take-home price, your mailbox price? And, and what are you seeing, not only in your herd, but what do you, what do you hear from your neighbors? Well, I, I, you know, like you said, we've, we've been with CDI basically since the CDI merged. Back in the day, we used to ship our milk to uh, uh, San Joaquin Valley Dairyman and when the merger happened, I mean, we've been with them ever since. And uh, yeah, my father's been very, very involved with as far as uh, CDI. He's been a board member. And uh, actually, my my brother has also done the um, uh, leadership program that they have there at, at CDI. You know, the, the 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 federal order is you know one of the things that I guess that you know some people were for, some people were not against. And I I don't want to <laughs> take a stand on saying which way would have been better or not. I mean, the situation that we are right now, where we're seeing a a very imbalanced milk market with with cheese being so uh, is with a, at an elevated price and and the you know your powder and butter market has kind of been off a little bit uh, you know still to be in the California order would probably have been a good time to do it right now but I think we need to we need to look forward into the future as far as what's best for everybody and a consistent price and. I think there's still some things that need to be ironed out in our pricing system, I guess you'd say. But I think, um, you know, the, the more equal uh, that we could all be on the playing field, I think it's going to be better for us all in the, in the long run. Maybe starting next year, we can kind of, quote unquote, get back to normal, whatever that means, I guess, in terms of milk pricing. Well, I think, I think we'd, all, <laughs> we'd all enjoy to see some more normalcy in our lives, and especially when, you know, the situations right now where we're, we're seeing that, a, a big swing in the in our in our our milk prices. You're seeing feed prices, especially the proteins, have really taken a kind of a strong uptick here over the last 30 to 45 days or so. So I mean, we're we're seeing a lot of instability as far as right now in our in our industry, and hopefully this starts to level out a little bit here. You know, coming into the uh, beginning of the new year, I guess you'd say. 
speaking of the of the COVID situation, I hope you and your family and your employees have been able to avoid testing positive or, or worse yet, getting sick. Has that been a factor on your with your staff or with your families? Fortunately, I you know I'm gonna, I'm going to knock on wood right now. I, we've our my family and my uh, all of our employees, we haven't had a single issue. Um, and uh, you know I've got friends that have had issues and stuff like that. You know we've. We actually uh, we deal with a human resource uh, company called HR Mobile, and uh, they've actually been really really good for us when you know when this whole thing came out. You know we came out, we talked to the guys, explained things to them, made sure that they, you know, we all uh, understood uh, what this is and how people can get it, and you know what we would kind of like to see happen as far as you know the, the distancing from each other and the cleanliness issue you know unfortunately in, in in the ag world i guess the distancing issue and stuff like that is can easily be done you know obviously you got milk barn situations where guys are in a little tighter quarters and uh you know we've kind of been as proactive as we can we've had kept having safety meetings and reiterating things and and um you know providing with you know if masks need be if they needed that with hand sanitizers um all those kinds of things and um I think, you know, kind of being upfront about it, you know, right when this thing started a little bit, it kind of, guys kind of understand a little bit more and, and, and us too. I mean, it was, it was, it was good for us too. And so, yeah, we've, we've, it's one of those things we've dealt with and, and like I say, knock on wood, we haven't had any issue with any of my family or any of my employees or employees' families as far as that I can, I can say today. So it's, it's been a challenge and I'll be, you know, happy when we get a little bit more normalcy back in our lives. That's for sure. Amen. Well, I'm just great to hear that, uh, been active in the state holstein association in fact a couple of years ago you served a term as president oh it's it's uh, it was a fun experience you know and i i've i enjoyed the holstein cow just as much as i guess the as, if not maybe a little bit more than the next person from showing when we were younger to actually still do a little showing today and now my kids are getting to the age where they kind of like it and and just you know with the with the marketing with the genetics uh, uh you know, it's it, it's fun. I enjoy all the aspects of it, whether it's genomic or it's type related, and and uh, being president was was a, was a fun experience. I mean, uh, I had the chance to be on the board there, and you know, there's a lot a lot of great breeders in the state, and a lot of them that I can really call close friends. And so to get an opportunity to be president of our state association, it was a it was a it was a fun fun deal. And I I think uh, you know I think the whole landscape of the registered Holstein business across the United States is maybe changing a little bit. You know, I think also it's it's strengthening a lot of things too, and I think uh, there's a lot of great people. There's a lot of great cattle. Uh, maybe the size of the the amount of you know registered breeders aren't the same as it used to be before, but I think the the quality of cattle they have and the, just the quality of people are, uh, are are just as good now if they, as they were before. And now it was a it was a lot of fun, and I uh, you know it, actually this. Um, would have been uh, well. They didn't have a national Holstein convention this year. It would have been uh, last year. I got to go to my first national Holstein convention as a delegate, and that was uh, that was kind of fun. I really enjoyed that. And so, yeah, no, I'm a big fan of it, and I enjoyed every every bit of the time that we um, I got to do that. And like I say, it's uh, it's a great honor to be called president of, uh, of our state association, especially when you look at some of the great names of breeders in the state that have done it before. Well, you did a good job, and uh, I know people enjoyed working with you for sure. That's probably a pretty good way to end up talking about your registered Holstein enthusiasm. Really appreciate you taking time to talk with us today, Brian. It's been a, been a fun conversation. Well, I, I enjoyed it as well, as well, Joel. Thanks, Ryan. We've been speaking today with Ryan Matherin of Hillmar Holsteins. 
Ryan, we appreciate you being with us. Until uh, our next episode, this is Joel Hastings for Dairy Voice at dairybusiness.com. <laughs>